0: So thankful for Brian, Pastor Brian and his leadership here at Fellowship Olathe and leading us into the presence of Jesus. And I'm telling you, what these songs are some of my favorite. I love the upbeat ones that make you want to dance a little. You know, you are allowed to dance a little here in in this church. All right. So uh, also makes you want to clap. All right. And um, I've always been envious of those that can sing and clap at the same time. Anybody else? Where's my people? All right, there's, there's several of us, so anytime somebody's leading worship and they're like, all right, now everybody clap, I'm like, listen, you have to choose, okay? <laughs> do you want me to sing or do you want me to clap because I can't do both? Um, my prayer is that in glory one day that God will give all of us the ability to do both at the same time. Wouldn't that be awesome? But uh, looking forward to that day. Well, grab your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. We are going to finish Ephesians chapter 5 today. As you know, we've almost began like a little mini-series within a series here, and we've been talking about marriage the last several weeks, and so two weeks ago, we began this with Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33, and we talked about God's design and purpose for marriage, and we wanted to start there because we cannot best understand our roles and responsibilities as husbands and wives until we understand how God has designed marriage. And he goes on in verses 31 through 33 to tell us that marriage is a mystery, and that mystery is profound, right? And he's not just talking about marriage itself. We know that that is kind of a mystery as well, but he's talking about what it is to look like. And he's saying that it's to reflect Jesus' relationship with the church and the church's relationship with Jesus. And it's super important that we start there because if we understand that, then we better grasp our roles and responsibilities as husbands and wives when we get to that text. So when you read things like, wives, submit to your husband, you're to understand that through how the church reacts and responds to Jesus, right? Um, It's not that that's an inferior uh, position, but, but we are, in fact, under the headship of Jesus, right? And so nobody could make that argument. The church isn't over Christ in this whole thing, but it tells us in Scripture that we are co-heirs with Christ and so it helps us better understand what that means we're going to see the same thing this morning when we read husbands love your wives remember what Jesus is trying to help us understand here is that our relationship as husbands to our wives should look like Christ's relationship to The church, all right? And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. It's gonna, it's gonna be the guardrails for this discussion, and it's gonna help us better understand in context what it means to love our wives well. And so listen, if you're unmarried in the room or you're young in the room, I I know that this might be something that you want to check out from, but listen, I, I promise you there's good stuff in here. For you okay so so take these notes and, and, and think about these things. listen for even the young people in the room, young men in the room, you need to know what the Bible says about your future, the roles and responsibilities that God is going to put on you as a husband and a leader in your home. young ladies in the room, you need to know what to look for. all right You need to know what to look for in a godly man, okay And so uh, those are the things that, that we're going to talk about today. And we're going we're gonna to go through this, but uh, allow me to pray first, and then we will go through Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 30, and talk about this morning a word to husbands, all right? So let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would guide our time this morning. God, I pray that you would take this text. God, I pray that you would illuminate it for us. God, I pray that we would understand what it means. God, I pray that we would better understand our roles and responsibilities, God, I pray that we would understand that this is a command given to us by you. And so, God, we don't get to define the terms here. God, we, we get to uh, humbly submit to your authority and your ultimate leadership. And so I pray for every man in this room. God, I pray that as we go through this that you would challenge us. God, I pray that you would help us to uh, live this out. God, this is a, an unbelievably high calling and expectation that you've put on our, our lives, God. And so I pray that you would be with us, God. We recognize this morning that apart from your Holy Spirit, that we cannot do these things that you're calling us to do. So God, I pray that you would lead us and that you would guide us. And Father, I pray that if any of us in this room, upon examination of our lives and how we're living, God, if, if, if we're not measuring up to what your word says about us as husbands, God, I pray that we would repent. And I pray that that we would get busy doing what your word has told us to do, God, for our good and our flourishing. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So as I said, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 starting in verse 25. And just like we saw last week, Paul comes right out of the gate. Wives, submit to your husbands. He comes right out of the gate in verse 25 to husbands. And he gives us our command. And that command is to love Your wives, all right? And so he goes on to explain how Christ has demonstrated that love. And he says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Up for her. So we see the command and the standard immediately in verse 25, and I think we can all recognize in the room that this is a lofty goal, right? Any of the men in here that thinks that this would be easy, um, you are crazy, right? Because we look at this and we think, man, if God's command on my life as a husband is to love my wife like Christ loved the church. That's gonna be difficult for me to ever be able to fully do, right? But the good news is that because of the Holy Spirit at work in you, you can do this the way that God's called you to. Maybe not perfectly, but, but man, the goal is that we're doing better each and every single day, right? But that's the expectation and that's the command, that husbands would love your wife. And he goes on and he gives us the reason why. And he says in verse 26 that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And so what Paul is providing for us here in verse 26 and 27 is the ultimate example of what that's supposed to look like. Remember, we talked about Jesus's relationship to the church. This in no way means that a wife's salvation is tied to her husband. Listen, husbands, they're not gonna be able to do this. That's not your role and responsibility. What this is talking about in verse 26 and 27 is Jesus's relationship to the church, all right? He has to do all things for us. That's his purpose in loving us so well. He is um, sanctifying us. He's cleansing us. He's washing us with the water of the word so that he might present us to himself as a bride, right? So we're to see this as the church being the bride of Christ. And so he's giving us an example and the terminology, he's kind of switching back as an illustration about Jesus and the church. So don't get confused about husbands and wives right here. He's he's wanting us to look at this as a picture of what this might look like lived out. And it's Jesus's relationship to the church, right? And what's interesting about this is that all of the preparation is on Jesus, right? Um, If you've ever been married or any of you have ever been around a wedding ceremony, you know that it's uh, probably very uncommon uh, for a man to be involved at that level with all the preparations, right? Um, Anybody in here uh, like me where you were basically told, listen, this is what time you're supposed to be there, Um, please have your hair cut, and wear clothes, okay? Like that was pretty much my level of involvement in all of that. Um, Now Erin, in contrast to that, being the bride, like in her mind, this is uh, an incredibly significant day And she wants to look her absolute best, right? That's what it's telling us in the text. Jesus is preparing us, the church, as the bride of Christ. He he wants us to be the best that we can be on that day. And so uh, she is like going and getting her hair done. Not just once though, but I didn't know this until the other day. She actually went a couple times because she wanted to see like what her hair would look like in different styles, right? Like that right there shows you that women are not the same as men, all right? Like if I put gel in my hair and showed up clothed, that was good, all right? And and so she's she's gone multiple times like the way it's styled. So that day she gets her hair done. She also gets her nails done, right? She she's gone to um, a tanning salon a couple times. I, I don't know any guys ever been to one? Don't raise your hand. Never mind. Um <laughs> I don't wanna do that to you right here in the middle of church. But but she's done so much more preparation stuff than me. And like, you know what I did that day? Like that morning, I went golfing with my groomsmen. Seriously, like we were golfing and we did exactly like we were supposed to. We showed up, we combed our hair, we put on the tuxes that they rented for us and we were there uh, in our spots on time. But very little preparation was going on uh, for us in regards to that in contrast to Aaron, right? And and all that's to help us understand like this preparation for the bride of Christ, right? So what, what it's saying is that Jesus has done all the things, right, necessary to prepare us to be presented to himself. We're to think of ourselves as the bride of Christ. And I want you to think about that. That's the that's the relationship that we're talking about. Husbands and wives, Jesus. To the church, okay? And he talks about a couple of things in there that are significant. And we see that starting in verse 25. So he says, Husbands, to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All right, so a couple of supporting passages that I want you to get in your mind. When you think of of how does Jesus love the church and how does that apply to how husbands are to love their wives, Let's, let's start right here. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, "'Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.'" That verse right there contains the two things that we learn about Jesus' relationship with the church that are most significant for us to understand as husbands. Listen, when God put together the family and he put headship on the husband here, this isn't so that you might lord over your wife. This isn't even about dominance. In fact, the Bible would say good and godly leadership looks like service and sacrifice, that's what we're seeing in this text. He said, you wanna know what it looks like to love your wife like Christ loved the church? It requires service and sacrifice. That's what we just saw. The King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see the same thing in Romans 5:8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he has demonstrated his love for the church or the bride of Christ. He has served the church and he has sacrificed for the church. This this isn't about dominance and, and lording over while he is able to, right? Because he is king, he is God, but that's not how Jesus has chosen to interact with us. And I am very grateful for that. I'm grateful that Jesus has chosen to interact with sinful people with service and sacrifice so that I might have forgiveness of my sins, and eternal life, right? And so he's, he's setting this up right out of the gate to help us understand that this is, this is a tall order. Like, like this, is, this is a command with high expectations. Like I said, whenever I read these verses, honestly, um, it, it, it's overwhelming feeling to me at times. When I really begin to think about what it looks like to love my wife as Christ loved the church, It can be overwhelming, and so um, I I want us to think about that as we go. So we get to verse 28, and so now he's transitioning back to husbands, all right? So he's saying, here's your example of Jesus in the church that we've talked about in 31 through 33, and now he comes back in 28, and this is what he says. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife Loves himself, all right? So that service and sacrifice, that, that living that love out that Jesus has done for the church, in the same way, husbands should love their wives just like that. And then verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body, all right? So ultimately, the husband's responsibility is to love his wife like Christ's love, the church. This is again, like we said, lording over, or, or, or that responsibility. We are to reflect Christ's love and His loving leadership over our wives. So, loving our wives will require us to do a couple things. All right. So, just in this text, this is not an exhaustive list. This isn't everything that you need to do as a husband to demonstrate love to your wife. But in this text, he supplies for us four things, all right? And those four things are, again, to serve her, number two, to sacrifice for her, number three is to nourish her, and number four is to cherish her, all right? So that's what we're going to spend the remainder of our time together here this morning, kind of putting some practical application to these four things because the, the beginning of this isn't overly complex. You say, listen, if men, if you want to know what it looks like to love your wives well, look no further than Jesus and how he interacts with the church. Listen, you're to serve her and sacrifice for her and nourish her and cherish her. But, but what does that actually look like? Like, like what are the things that we are called to do, to live that out. And so here's a couple practical challenges. And all the practical challenges are in regards to those four things, all right? So number one is this, that you are to provide for your wife. That's actually what nourish means, all right? It's, it's about provision. And so that you don't have too narrow of a definition in mind when we talk about provision, provision or nourish is to provide everything needed for your wife's growth, health, and ultimate good. All right? One more time. To nourish your wife or to provide for your wife, you're to provide everything needed for her growth, health, and ultimate good. And the reason why I say that, as as men, we come hardwired to provide, right? Like like it's, it's the vast majority of men I know, we take great pride in providing for our families and providing for our wives, but it's important that we expand that definition, right? Because if it's too narrow, we could be providing physically and tangibly to our wives and families and still failing to provide everything else that our wife needs. In fact, we can be so good at the physical and tangible provision that, that we're actually being counterproductive to the other things that our wife needs to uh, have provided for us for her growth, health, and ultimate good. So it's all of the things. It's not just physical, right? So, so what I'm trying to say is, like, if, if in your mind you're like, listen, hey, I've got that, right? I'm going to pat myself on the back because I go to work, right? And I provide a paycheck, right? Like, like, like that, that's bare minimum, guys. That's bare minimum, and so don't lean too hard into that being what it means to provide for your wife. Now, you do need to do that because the Bible speaks against laziness as well, right? Like I said before, this, this sermon really is forever. Listen, uh, unmarried people in the room, young ladies in the room, like when you're looking for a man, you want to find somebody who is not lazy, right? Somebody who wants to work. That's not going to go well for you. Scripture actually says that a man that is unwilling to provide for his own family, he's useless, Right, I think most of us in the room would a- agree with that, right? But provision is more than just providing with a job. It's more than just providing financially. It's more than just providing physically. It's all of the other things that your wife needs. So it's a provision both physically, emotionally, spiritually, I'd add on there sexually, everything that your wife needs for her ultimate good, all right? In, in a more general sense, what we're talking about is intimacy. It, it's oneness. So it's not enough just to think like, listen, I, I did my part, I went to job, and I put more money in the bank account, all right? That, that, that's not ultimately provision, not the way that the Bible talks about He talks about nourishment from the perspective of it being all of those things all right so so keep that in mind when you think about provision number 2 to protect your wife right practical challenge you're to protect your wife this is what cherish means right it, it, it's it's to protect her and support her and the same thing is true about protection as it was provision it's not, too, don't don't have too narrow of a definition of what it means to protect your wife, right? Like, we all know, like, in our minds, like, when something crazy happens in the middle of the night, like, you're going to, like, jump up and protect, right? Right? And so, I remember when Aaron and I were first married, we moved into a townhome in North uh, Kansas City, and um, let's just say it was an adventurous neighborhood, okay? And... Um, we were spending like one of our our first nights together as America, but we had got all the furniture in, we had decorated, we had done all this stuff. And it was about three o'clock in the morning and we heard this uh, sound like something, like glass broke downstairs and we had a sliding glass door. And so in my mind, I just knew that somebody broke into that sliding glass door and was coming into the house. So uh, I just jumped up out of bed and I ran downstairs. Now I didn't take anything with me. I had no plan Really, which is really funny because later on I came back upstairs and gave Erin the report and she was like, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, good. Okay. So what were you going to do? I was like, I don't know. I guess just providing with something to do so you could escape. I don't know. Uh, but, but yeah, now, now thinking it through, I probably should have grabbed something. But, but something, just like the provision thing, something should be hardwired inside you as a man. To, to desire to protect your wife and, and, and your family, right? In, in a physical sense. And so, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, I'm coughing into this thing. Um, some of that has to do, uh, where was I at? My goodness. I used to try to be like smoother about this and stuff. And you know, it's like, just, just address it. I'll get back to it. Oh, um, it's talking about protection, right? And so, so I run downstairs, and it wasn't the sliding glass door. Praise God. It was a mirror that I hung improperly, um, and, and it fell to the ground and, and, and broke. And so I learned a lot in that first week of marriage, right? Like how to rehang a mirror and, and about protection, and all that. But, but men, you should be hardwired that way. Um, I don't know if you guys remember a couple years ago, there was an incident with a shooting at a, a movie theater, right? And, and what happened in that was there was men who'd thrown themselves on top of girlfriends and wives and children and stuff. Why? To protect them. Because you're hardwired that way, and that's good, right? Like, you, you should desire to protect, but your protection should be much wider than just simply physical protection, Right? Than, than going and, and killing the spider, or going to check on the noise, or, or whatever that might be. The, the protection is, it, by the way, I don't kill spiders either. Uh, I had a son, and now he kills spiders. So I'm grateful for that. Um, but, but the protection is much broader than that, right? M- much broader, than, it's the same thing. It's a protection both physically and emotionally, and even spiritually. Like, listen, that's a primary responsibility as, as a husband. You are to be the spiritual leader in your home, and guess what? That doesn't kick in with children. You are to be the spiritual leader of your home, whether you have children or not, because God has given you headship there and a responsibility, not because you're smarter or better. It's just God's design and so you will stand before God one day and give an account in this area in a very unique way that I believe that our wives will not. So wives also keep that into consideration, too, as your husband's trying to lead and be the spiritual leader of the home. That, that he's going to be held to a responsibility and accountability level that, that you are not on this deal but husbands, you are, so to protect beyond that, and spiritually, and the reason why I bring this up is, is this week in my study, I was reminded of Genesis chapter three. Remember, we talked about Genesis chapter two in creation. God, God's the one who established marriage, and he's the one who established these roles, and then you get to chapter three, and sin enters into the world, and when scripture says that Eve takes of the fruit and eats it, like in your mind, you almost wanna think like Adam was just out uh, doing something that he was supposed to be doing, Right? Uh, But he wasn't. In fact, the scripture tells us that he was standing right next to her. And we see this in Genesis chapter three, verse six. Check this out. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So where was Adam? Right next to her. What did God specifically say when he created Adam and Eve and and instituted marriage? We talked about it last week. God's good design in all this was that Adam would lead out in this area. And so instead of protecting the way that he should, he stands by silently. Now that's not to mean that that the wives don't have a, a part in this spiritual protection of the home. You absolutely do. But listen, husbands, dads, you have been uniquely commanded and told by God to, to exercise headship in your home and part of that is protecting your family spiritually. So beyond just knowing about all the calendar things and how school's going and, and all that kind of stuff, you also need to have your finger on the pulse of your family's spiritual condition. Listen, it bothers me a lot that dads can tell me what they're, four-year-old's batting average is, but they don't ask any of their kids what they read in God's word today. That kind of stuff should not be taking place. It shouldn't be happening, right? You're called to much more than that. So do those things. I want you to support your kids and all that, but like you have a responsibility for protection beyond a physical one, and it also involves spiritual. That's for your wife and your children. So know what's going on. I mean, think about that for a second. Husband, when was the last time you asked your wife, instead of, hey, how did today go or what do we have planned for tonight? When was the last time you asked, hey, hey, what have you been reading in God's word? And and, and sharpen one another, right? And also let me say a word here too. Dad, setting a standard in your home. Part of that standard is I don't care if the chiefs are playing or if it snows 14 inches or what's going on, our family goes and worships the Lord. Right? Some of those standards, that was a standard in my house. It's just laid out. I saw a tweet not too long ago that said that decision's made Saturday night, not Sunday morning. Listen, even beyond that, I don't even want to make it. There's no decision to be made Saturday night. We will serve the Lord. That doesn't mean you can't be gone on vacation. We're not taking attendance in the back, nothing like that. But what I'm saying, though, is that it's your responsibility to protect and set a standard. Okay? Number three, serve your wife. Serve your wife. Listen, you need a minute, you come home, you, you, you get the commute. If your commute's short, sit in the driveway for a little bit. And you pray and ask God, Lord, Lord, Fill me with everything I need to go in and be the best husband and the best father that, that I can be. And you go in and you serve your wife and you serve your family. By the way, this isn't, we talked about this last week out in the hall with, with some folks. It, marriage isn't 50 50, right? It's 100 100, or else it's not going to work. So I'm saying that to say when you get home, the, the, the idea, the biblical, the biblical, idea of a man isn't somebody who comes in after a long day at work and plops down on the couch and says, like, now it's my time because I've done my part. That's not how that works. It's 100-100, not 50-50, not just I've got my stuff done, now this is your stuff. That's that's a recipe for disaster. And your marriage will not flourish, and God will not be honored, if that's your attitude. So serve your wife. Look for ways. Actually, if you just look for ways to outdo one another, I'm telling you what, like, like people who are served, you know what they, they tend to do more? Serve back. We were talking about this this week. You know, one of, the, one of the things that we still have to work through on a weekly and daily basis, but it was really bad when we first got married. Like, uh, You know what our number one fight was when we first got married? It might be the same as yours constantly trying to figure out like who's done more. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're better than us and you never had that. <laughs> but but I just remember it, it just constantly being a, like a, a weighing out of things like, yeah, well, I've done all this and you're doing this and yeah, but I do this and I got to work and, and listen, that that that's bad attitudes on both sides. As soon as you start playing the comparison game, you've lost. Instead, if you would show up with the heart and attitude of service, Listen, every morning, I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna die to self so that I might serve others around me. And listen, I'll be the first to even admit this. Oftentimes, we are better about that kind of stuff with strangers and people that we work with and at the church and everywhere else than we are even our own homes. And listen, the best thing that could happen to Fellowship Olathe it's not just that we are missionally minded people thinking about those who don't yet know Christ, but if we would just get our homes where God wants them to be, man, that would be incredible. The, the flourishing inside the home would, would be wonderful. So serve your wife. Don't think about things in terms of your stuff and hers. Remember we talked about last week, You're a team. So do this stuff together and look for ways to serve your wife. Number four, Sacrifice for your wife. That just simply means being willing to lay down or surrender on behalf of another. I don't know what that is for you specifically. But like I said, you're a team. And it really, really bothers me when I, when I see things like, like people in, in a marriage relationship and, and they've, they've both got all their own separate stuff and they're both just pursuing all that with all their hearts And it's a fraction in their relationship, right? Where you've been called to be one. And so sometimes that requires you to be willing to sacrifice on behalf of another. And I think that that burden falls to you, husbands, as the leaders of your homes. To be willing to sacrifice and do whatever it takes to lay yourself down and surrender. Listen, one of the greatest examples I ever had of this was was my stepdad. Man, I'm I'm grateful to the Lord for the example that I had in him. Some of you in this room, maybe you don't have that example, but you can change it within your own home by living this out for for your children, for the next generation, right? For, For those in your family to be able to see that this is what a good and healthy marriage looks like. But listen, service and sacrifice I've never met a person other than Jesus that, that was willing to sacrifice for his family like my stepdad. I mean, being willing to lay down things. you know what used to, used to stand out to me all the time? And by the way, this is the difference between biblical manhood and biblical boyhood is the willingness to forego things that you might want or desire because it's not what's best for your marriage. Or for your family. Being willing to forgo those things. I remember, you know what my dad wanted more than anything when I was a kid? A truck. Like a brand new truck. He had, he had the work janky version, all right, that sometimes started and he was always working on. You guys know what I'm talking about. But he wanted the brand new one at some point. But like he, he didn't get that until me and my brother were out of the house. It's it's as if they stumbled upon more cash reserves once children were gone. I don't know. Uh, But he was willing to lay down some things and forego. I'm not saying that like there's nothing wrong with you having a truck. Don't don't mishear what I'm saying. But it would have been wrong for him at that time. Because that wasn't what was best for his marriage and for his family. And so willing to sacrifice and forego and it could be any number of things. But listen, that's why I say that's the difference between manhood and boyhood. Men who love Jesus are marked by that willingness to sacrifice, lay down, and surrender all things for the good of their wives and the good of their family. All right? And as I said, listen, this is, th- this is an example that, that I hope and pray that you get. And if you didn't, then you get to be. that that you would do these things. So listen, if you want to know how you can love your wife well, if you want to the the starting place for loving your wives as Christ loved the church, let's start with at least these four things, right? Pray about these things, think about these things, live these things out. Listen, provide for your wife like you would provide for yourself. Protect your wife. Cherish her above all else and anyone else serve your wife and be willing to sacrifice for your wife. Like I said, that's not exhaustive, but I promise you that's a really, really good start. I don't think there's a woman in this room that's married to a man that if he would do those four things, wouldn't love you and respect you beyond anything. So that's our challenge this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you God, for your word, we thank you for the challenge that we do find in it, God, and Lord, I pray for us this morning, God, every single person that's here, God, I I very specifically wanna lift up our husbands and dads in the room here this morning, God, and I pray that you would be with us. God, fill us with the Holy Spirit, empower us to live these things out because we know apart from you, we can do nothing. Now, God, God, I pray that this would be just the starting place. God, I pray that we would love our wives and our families well. God, that we would serve and sacrifice. God, that we would, we would be willing to love our wives like you love us. Loving leadership, patient and kind, merciful and gracious. God, I pray that you would help us to do that, God, because we know that if we're able to live this out well in our families, God, that you can do so much. God, that's where we wanna be. That's what we wanna do. God, we also recognize, though, that we can do nothing apart from you, God. So I pray that for the person in this room this morning that they would genuinely know you. God, that they would trust you as their Lord and Savior. God, that they would recognize that you are their only hope. You are the only way to eternal life and forgiveness of sins God I pray that you'd speak to their hearts very specifically if that's what they need to know this morning that you'd give them courage and boldness to respond and we pray this in Christ's name